are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. You know, this is Time Change Sunday, so you know what it means, right? I get to preach an extra hour. No, I wouldn't do that to you. Just kidding. Um... I was on the phone yesterday with a guy who attends our church, and he had a real risky heart procedure done the day before. So the doctors were just honest with him. This could go south. It's a risk. We can't not do it, but if we do it, we can't promise you it's going to work out. And so he says to his family, he tells me on the phone yesterday, I said to my family, you know, if it doesn't work out, it's okay. If I don't make it through, it's all right. And when he's telling me this on the phone, his voice then begins to crack. Sorry, Pastor, give me a minute. And then here's what he says to me. I couldn't be more ready to die. Wow. That's confidence, isn't it? So if you were going to have surgery tomorrow and the doctor says to you, I can't promise you this is going to work out. We could lose you. It might go south on us. Just got to be honest with you. We can't not do it. You're not going to make it. But if we do it, don't know. Would you say, it's okay, doc. I couldn't be more ready to die. That's confidence. Here's the question. What is that confidence in? I remember listening to a preacher a few years ago preach a sermon that had a great impact on me, and he said over and over and over and over again these words, okay? Many times he said these words. He said, good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people do. Good people don't go to heaven. People who are forgiven go to heaven. And so what if you just gave your whole life, you based your whole life on being good enough, and you just lived your whole life saying that if I can just be good enough, and if I can do enough good, that finally one day when I stand before God, God will say, well, I'm not going to kid you, it was close, but I think you did good enough, I'm going to let you in. We've been studying a book together, right, called Way, Truth, and Life by Dr. David Busick, Discipleship as a Journey of Grace. And Dr. Busick says something that's really powerful in chapter four when he talks about saving grace. Here's what he says. He says, we are saved by grace, and grace comes from outside ourselves. And so it just completely shoots holes in the idea that maybe I can be good enough and do good enough and treat people good enough, and give enough, and if I can add all of that up, maybe one day I'll stand before God and he'll say, well, it was close, but it was good enough. You get to go to heaven. It just takes it all away because we're not saved by our good works. We are saved by grace, and grace is not something we do. It comes from outside ourselves. It's a gift that God gives us. So here's what I want to do. I want to take you back to Ephesians 2. We were there last week. Paul is writing to a church in Ephesus where he spent two years, and a lot of people began a journey of grace. They left the life they were living and began to follow Jesus. And they said, from now on, I'm giving my life to Jesus, and I'm just going to follow Jesus. 
So when you get to verse 8, he talks clearly about how a person experiences saving grace and how a person becomes a follower of Jesus, a Christian. And so let me take you to verse 8. You ready? Here's what he says. For it is by grace you've been saved. So it takes out the whole idea that if I do enough good works, maybe God will say good enough. Nope. He says you're saved by grace through faith And this is not from yourselves. It comes outside ourselves. It is the gift of God. And he even spells it out clearly. It's not, it's not by works so that nobody can boast. I can never say to you, you know what? I have just tried so hard and I've worked so hard and I've done lots of good deeds and I've been such a good person and I just believe that now I'm good enough. All of that's gone. Because he says it this way, for we are God's handiwork. In other words, God came all the way to where we were. Paul said, you are dead in your trespasses and sins, spiritually dead. There's nothing you can do. Dead people can't act. And so God comes all the way to where we are. He awakens our spiritual senses. He loves us. He speaks to us. He draws us. He cares for us. He gives us the grace to respond. Then he changes us. Jesus said, it's like you were born all over again. He transforms us. And look what happens. We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do, say it with me, good works. I'm not saved by my good works. Because I'm saved, I can now do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So this is the word of God for the people of God. And the people said, thanks be to God. Yeah. So I remember years ago, maybe nine, ten years ago, on a Friday afternoon, I'm working on a sermon. And I think to myself, I wish there was some way to make it like visual. I wish people could see what I'm thinking, you know. And so I called my friend Carter and I said, I know it's Friday afternoon and Sunday's only a couple of days away, but could you build this for me? Because I want people to see it. And so not long ago, I opened a closet door in my office and there it was on the top shelf. And when I was preparing today to preach, I thought I'm taking it with me because I don't know of anything that makes it more clear than this. Okay. So here's how I think life works for many people. So I believe that we look at life sometimes in our good and bad as a scale, okay? So we think about weighing something, all right? So I think sometimes people just say, you know what, Rick, I've been stacking up a lot of sin, a lot of bad stuff, just bad stuff to keep stacking up in my life. Answered a phone one day, and a guy that I've been spending time with called me. I said, hey. He said, Pastor Rick, I said, yeah. He said, I should go to hell for how I've lived my life these last three days. Sin, debauchery. Would you pray for me? Here's what he was saying. He was saying, when I look at the scales of my life, I think I've just been stacking up sin and bad deeds and bad stuff. And I believe the scale is tipped like that. 
Sometimes I have conversations with people and it's just the opposite. They say, you know what? I got an opportunity to give and I had an opportunity to serve. And then I was in this situation where I had to make a choice of doing right or wrong. And Pastor Rick, God gave me the grace to choose right. And the scale is just tipped in my favor. I've been doing a lot of good. I, I think there's also people who think like this. I know that I sin and I know that's not good, but you know what? I also do some good too in my life. And I think it kind of balances it out. I mean, I think the good, you know, I, I know there's some bad stuff going on, but there's, there's good stuff going on too. And I think it just kind of works for me. And I know I sin at other times, but then I kind of, you know, do some more good. And I think that kind of balances out, you know, for me too. And there's more sin and there's more good. And here's what I think like. I, I just kind of give my permission, self-permission to slip but then I try to do some good to balance it out. There, there is a thought process in our society called moralism. Here's how moralism works. A person says, yeah, I, I sin. But um, also do some good. And I, I give myself permission to slip but I try to do some good. But I'm not interested in just balancing it out. I've got the idea that if I can stack up more good than bad, then the scales will tip in my favor. And on that day that I stand before God, he'll kind of look at it and say, well, you got more good than bad. David Busick says, a moralist is someone who believes they are saved by the good they do and the bad they avoid. If I can just do more good than bad, then maybe when I come to the end and stand before God, he'll say, you know what? I think the scales are tipped in your favor. Here's the problem. I read you a moment ago from Ephesians where the Bible says we are not saved by works, but by grace. It's a gift. Yet people keep thinking, I'm, I'm actually doing pretty good. I mean, I know there's some bad, but there's some good, and I know there's more bad, but there's more good. And, and I'm hoping that when I get to heaven, God will say, well, the good way to outweigh the bad, and, and I'm going to let you in. Or I think sometimes people think, yeah, I've done bad, but especially not as bad as the other guy. So you got a lot of questions like, you know, what, why do I need to be saved and what do I need to be saved from? And so I want to talk to you about three things this morning, okay? Number one, I want to talk to you about sin. And number two, I want to talk to you about uh, the atonement. It's a theological word, and you're going to leave here fully understanding it. And then I want to talk to you about how saving grace works. Okay, those three things. You ready? Let's start with sin. A little girl one day, I tell this story every chance I get. A little girl one day left her home, and she was going to go to her grandmother's house to spend the night. 
up over the mountain path, back down at the foot of the mountain to her grandmother's. And as she's walking along the mountain path, headed to her grandmother's to spend the night, she is startled along the path, jumps back and yells because in the middle of the path, she sees a snake. I didn't mean to scare you, the snake said. And she said, well, of course you scared me. You're a snake. And the snake said, well, I'm not all bad. And she said, you're not? And the snake said, no, look, look at me, how beautiful my colors are and my shapes. Let me just move slightly and you'll see me glisten in the sun. And the little girl said, well, I've never thought about it, but you are kind of pretty. Where are you going? Uh, foot of the mountain to my grandmother's house. Oh, you'll, you'll get there easy with time to spare before nightfall. Not so much with me. I move much slower than you do along the ground. You, you don't think maybe, no, I shouldn't ask. The little girl says, what? Well, you, you don't think maybe you could give me a, a ride, do you? <laughs> I mean, if you sit down on the rock, I would just crawl into your pocket and you could just give me a ride over the mountain trail. And the little girl said, I don't think I should. You're a snake. And the snake said, I wouldn't hurt you. And she said, you promise? The snake said, yes, I promise. I would never hurt you. And she said, well, I, I guess it wouldn't hurt. And so she sits down on the rock, and the snake crawls into her pocket, and she begins her journey down the mountain path, and only a few steps in, the snake bites her in the side. And she pulls the snake out of her pocket and throws it back onto the path and says, I can't believe this. You lied to me. And the snake said, you knew what I was when you picked me up. And I remember telling that story to a group of college students in a degree completion program, mid-age adults. And I said to them, what do you think about the story? And I remember one lady raises her hand and I point to her and she said, I hate your story. And I said, why do you hate my story? And she said, because it's my story. And you know what I said to her? I said, it's everybody's story. The devil is a liar. He is cunning. He's deceitful. And he has one goal in life, and that is to tempt you and me to sin. So what is sin? I want to give you a good Wesleyan definition. I'll put it on the screen. The reason I want to give it to you is because I think it will really help us. And the reason I call it a Wesleyan definition is because John Wesley wrote it. Good enough? Okay, here we go. He says, sin would be a voluntary transgression of a known law of God. Let me put it really simple for you, okay? I know what God's opinion is about this. I know that God is saying, don't do it but I'm going to do it anyway. That's sin. A voluntary study, it, a voluntary transgression of a known law of God. I know that God said no, but I want to do it, and I'm going to do it anyway. There's really only one sin in a sense, and it's when I say to God, God, you scoot over. I'm going to drive. I'm going to be in charge. I'm not doing what you want me to do. I'm going to do what I want to do. That is sin. And so in a very real aspect, 
Sin is number one. Let me give you three words. It's rebellion, okay? I hope you read the book because the book spells this out so clearly. So let me give you an idea of rebellion. In, in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, God said, you can eat from any tree in the garden. I put it all here for you, but there's one tree that I do not want you to eat from. It's the tree in the middle of the garden. Eve looked at the fruit on the tree and said, but that fruit looks really good. And I think it would taste really good, and I want a bite. And Adam said, I want a bite too. And so they ate it. Even though God said, don't do it, they said, we're going to do it anyway. That's rebellion. That's sin. It's also enslavement. Because of what happened with Adam and Eve, you and I are children of the fall. We don't do what we always want to do. We are captives to our sin. I can't tell you how many times somebody has said to me, Pastor Rick, I don't want to keep sinning. I don't want to keep doing this thing that I do. I keep saying to myself, I'm not going to do it anymore, but I keep doing it. It's like I can't stop. Sin is not only rebellion, but it's enslavement. It's captured me, and it's also estrangement. God is there. I'm here. God's always been there, but there's something between me and God, and it's my sin. I don't want to pray. It's awkward to pray because I know that we're not okay. I'm living a life that doesn't please him, and so it separates me from him. It also separates me from others. There's a lot of people in this room this morning that would say, I'm, I, I can tell you a story that my sin created division between me and other people. It's estrangement. So what do we do with our sin? Well, the Bible is really clear. It tells us that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. The theological word that sums up that idea is atonement. Now, you may say, I don't know what atonement means. Let me explain it to you quickly, okay? Atonement was the holiest day for the Jewish people in the Old Testament. Here's how it worked. It was a day for repentance and forgiveness for their sins. So the high priest would take a goat, sacrifice it on the altar. Blood was spilled to atone for the sins of the people. You with me? The word atone means to cover over. That's why I grew up in church singing, they are covered by the blood. My sins are all covered by the blood, meaning the blood of Jesus atoned for, covered my sins. But there was a second goat, and this goat was not killed. This goat was called the scapegoat. And what the high priest would do would take the head of the goat and confess the sins of the people of Israel over that goat. In other words, place all the sins on the head of the goat, and then they would send the goat off into the wilderness out of sight. Carry our sins away. Jesus becomes our sacrifice and our scapegoat. And he atoned for our sins. Okay, you follow the progression? We've all sinned, the Bible says, and come short of the glory of God. Jesus died for our sins. Okay, we're moving along really well. So how does one become a Christian? How does that saving grace work in a person's life? And here's how it works. Okay, let me just give you three words. Grace. We are saved by grace. It's a gift. I'm spiritually dead. 
I can't do anything because I'm dead. God comes all the way to where I am. He awakens my spiritual sensitivities, speaks to me, loves me, draws me, cares for me, gives me grace to respond to him. That's what faith is. I trust you. I believe you. I believe you can forgive me. I believe you can make me right in my relationship with you through the blood of Jesus, okay? And then... Grace leads to faith, but faith leads to good works. Once I have been born again, once I've experienced God's grace, once he has changed my life, then good works just flow out of me. It's not that I'm trying to stack up good works so that I can somehow maybe become a Christian. No, it's the opposite. Go back to the slide one more time. We want to put good works over here. If I can do enough good works, then maybe I can get God's grace, and then maybe I can have faith to believe. Uh-uh. Grace comes, which leads to faith, and then out of the faith flows the good works. I do good works because I'm saved, not good works to get saved. You with me? So I'll sum it up real quick. Here's what it looks like. It's a gift from God, and he gives me the grace to trust him. I believe you can save me. And we accept his forgiveness. And our guilt and our shame are gone. And our relationship with God is restored. I love to say this. Being forgiven is awesome. (laughs) It is so good. It is like the best thing ever to believe with all of my heart that I have been forgiven of my sins and now nothing stands between me and God. He's a friend that I talk to and he makes me ready for heaven. So here's what I got to wonder. Is there somebody who wants to experience God's saving grace today? And you may say, Rick, I've been experiencing his grace because he's been talking to me. God's been talking to me like crazy. God's been speaking to me. God's been drawing me. God's been making me aware of my sin. Even this morning, God's talking to me the whole time. You're talking. And this morning, I'm ready to begin a journey with Jesus. I want to be forgiven. And I want my relationship with God to be right. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask everybody to bow their heads with me. And if you are already on a journey with Jesus, I want you to pray for people who are not yet on that journey with Jesus, okay? If you're not yet on a journey with Jesus, here's what I would love to ask of you. I would love to ask you to do this. I would love to ask you to pray this morning if you're ready to pray. If you're really at a point in your life where you say, Rick, I'm ready to begin a journey with Jesus, then I want you in these moments to pray, okay? And let me help you pray. You can borrow my words if that would help you. It would be a prayer that says something like this. Father, I'm very aware that I've sinned. I'm a sinner. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I've left you out of my life. I'm sorry that I've decided I was going to do it my way. I believe that Jesus can save me. I trust 
that I can be forgiven. And in this moment, I confess Jesus from this day forward is the Lord of my life. Give me the grace to let good works flow out of me. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.